All right, one of the areas that uh, I really feel like that the Lord has really been working on me and kind of really been challenging me in lately, you know how we go through phases where there's different things that the Lord is challenging in? For me, really, what kind of the last kind of, I don't even know, just a chunk of this last year has been, has been to, to be more intentional or to be more bold about speaking to others about the powerful truths that are found in the gospel. Not just like, okay, I can rattle off the four spiritual laws or something, but how do I have that that just really that boldness to, to speak into people's lives, believers and non-believers, the truths that are found in the gospel. And I've really been convicted. And I know it's the Holy Spirit doing this to me because almost every encounter I have with people, I'm getting this little nick, 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 nick in my, in my head or in my heart going, be attentive, be attentive, be ready. But, you know, like many of you, I long to be bold in witnessing for Christ. I long to be a bold witness for Christ. And in all the different areas I find myself, whether I'm in the coffee shops or I'm doing different things, and, and uh, what, wherever I am, the different friends I'm with, I long to be bold in those areas. Yet, probably like many of you, I find myself, I find myself lacking the boldness or like I think about it and then all of a sudden I start, ooh, that a little, is that a little sweat I'm starting to feel? You know that feeling like, okay, the Lord might be, well, and I'm feeling like, okay, ooh, so how do I have that boldness? I'm wondering, where does that kind of come from? I hope I have it this time when this opportunity comes. So where does that come from? Think about it. Where does that boldness to share the gospel come from? Well, obviously, Jesus, Sunday school answer. But I think we need to get more down into the nitty gritty of where does the boldness to share that, because we all have that desire but I think so often we're scared and we don't think like know what to say or something's kind of getting in the way. So where does that come from? Well, last time in our study in the book of Acts, we saw that their complete and, um, complete and utter dependence on, on God was what gave the early church the ability to face the opposition that they were facing when sharing the gospel with boldness. Now, this morning... What we're going to do is we're going to take a look at another very key element that is essential to having boldness to share the gospel. And what we're going to be seeing it is we're going to be seeing it kind of this juxtaposition between this deceptive couple and then also this conf confrontation that happens between the apostles and the Jewish leaders. And we're going to, once again, handle a whole entire chapter this morning. So I'm going to try to blitz through here and get you home by dinner, Okay. So here we go. Well, we're going to start, start by looking at chapter 5. We're in chapter 5 of Acts and verse 1. We're going to read this whole story here about Ananias and Sapphira. Here we go. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. Man. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. 
But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear, no, no duh, no great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. What a crazy story, huh? Very so what here we have is really is a contrast to the example of last time. Remember last time we looked at this, the honesty and the faithfulness of Barnabas, you know, he was the example. They said that everybody was sharing and selling property and they even gave this one guy, they said, and Barnabas, and they talked about his faithfulness. Now we have this, what we have here is the contrast of this deceitful and dishonest couple. Ananias and Sapphira. So number one on your notes, if you're taking notes on the sheet of paper, there's one thing this short story shows us is that although experiencing dramatic power, like-mindedness, and deep com community, even in its earliest days, the church was comprised of, as it is today, imperfect and flawed people. Now, I know this is no news, no brand new news. But I think a lot of times we put this expectation on the church to be this kind of thing or be the kind of people that will do certain kinds of things and we forget that we are flawed. Not an excuse, but we forget that we are flawed, sinful, broken people. Remember that we have seen on multiple occasions that the people in the early church were, they were so committed to one another that they were, they're sharing all that they had in order to meet one another's needs. They were selling their property and they were selling land and homes to meet others' needs. They were, they were just going for it. But we see that even amidst of, in the midst of great things happening, remember, the power was coming upon the apostles. People were being healed. All these incredible things were happen, happening. But then we have this. Here we have a couple. They seem to be walking the talk, right? They seem to be, hey, here's, here you go. Here's what we have for you. They sell this piece of property and they present what appears to be the total amount of the sale at, to the, at the apostles' feet so that it could be distributed to the needs of the people in their community and to take care of them. Yet in truth, what has happened here? They've only presented a partial amount. Now, why did they do that? Why did Ananias and Sapphira do that? Why did they make it seem like, yeah, this is the whole amount? Well, presumably the reason they're doing this is they've done it in order to gain a reputation of being super gener generous people. There. Here you go. We sold the thing for this much. Take it all. Now, here's the, the issue. The issue isn't that they presented a partial amount. That's not the only, that's, that isn't that they only presented that. The issue is that they deceived and they lied to, not only, not only to the community, not only to the apostles, but what we hear, what Peter says is they've lied to who? Ultimately, to God. They have lied to God as well. And by making it appear that they're presenting everything. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they had every right to hold back a portion of the sale. It was theirs. This was their property. They could have said, hey, we're going to give, you know, 
80% and we want to keep 20% for some other stuff. That, that would have been completely fine. Yet instead of deciding before God, okay, God, what should we give? Just like all of us should be doing with our time, with our money and everything. God, what do you want me to give? Not what is convenient, not what works out, not what will look good to others, but what do you want me to give? And then give that. But instead of doing that, they choose to go through really what is a premeditated act of deception that is motivated by the desire for man's praise above God's. Notice Sapphira. Sapphira even gets a chance to tell the truth. Peter, now is this really what you guys sold it for? Yep, that's... She even had a chance to, to be faithful, to, to, to share what the truth, but she still doesn't. Now, notice, notice in this verse, though, that Peter acknowledges the control that Satan has to influence this decision to be deceptive. That's what Satan's constantly doing. He's constantly trying us to believe deceptive things and to do deceptive things. That's his, that's what his primary role. He's the ultimate liar. Number two, what this shows us is that Satan is determined to undermine an essential element present in the church community that enables us to be bold, be a bold witness for Jesus. Complete faithfulness to God. Now, that doesn't seem like that would be one of the, the main things that would cause us to be able to be bold in our faith. But let's, let's follow this and how, how this does make sense. You see, we think that our sin or our lack of faithfulness only impacts us, right? Oh, I was deceptive or I held back something. It, no, one's gonna, no one's really going to find out or it's not going to really have that big of an impact on other people. So what? And here's the truth. The reality is unless we live on Gilligan's Island without any of the rest of the people and we're the only people there on this deserted island, there's, there's no way. Our willful lack of faithfulness to God is going to negatively impact the way that we think and the way that we act, especially towards others. It just is. That's how it works. And the result of that, the result of holding back our faithfulness, the result of being deceptive is going to be losing our passion for God, number one, and our compassion for others, especially the lost. We might go through the motions of time, yeah, I'll put my money in the jar for the kids, that's fine. But remember, God looks at the heart. Or I got a little extra change, I'll give some money, I'm a giver, I give regularly to the church what I have left over. And so see how this deceptiveness, how the enemy just brings this deceptiveness into our minds. So I'm being faithful because I am doing some good, but are we really doing what God is asking us to do? Proverbs 4.23 tells us that the heart is the wellspring of life and that a dishonest heart impacts the whole person. That's why this is such a big issue. We think, what's the big deal? They held something back. This is a big issue. We see that Ananias and Sapphira's deception results in instantaneous judgment. I think that that would probably curb a lot of, I know my sin, it would. <laughs> you know, if there was like, bam, judgment like that. This is crazy. 
I mean, it's no wonder that this scene that says causes great fear to come about everybody who heard about it. In other words, people are, are not only experiencing this incredible shock, but they're having this reverent awe of God resulting in respect for God and his righteousness and the recognition of sin's danger. Can you imagine what people started thinking about after this happened? They probably started thinking, okay, well, where am I being, where, where, where am I holding back? Well, wait a second. And there's a mix of fear, like, but there's also a mix of, wow, God is holy. God's not messing around here. Now, for many of us, this is a difficult passage due to the severity of judgment. I know there's people out there that say that this did not happen like that. That this is just kind of an allegorical story out there because this judgment just seems so unfair and so severe. And really, although it really is an exceptional case, this kind of judgment really is expressed really throughout the Bible. This kind of stuff happens all the time. Remember Achan and when he stole stuff and he put it in his tent and he's just hid it under there, thought, no big deal, I'm just going to take a little stuff for myself. How well did his life go? Not well at all. Even, here's another example, in speaking about communion, taking communion in an unworthy or unrepentant or even a flippant manner, the Apostle Paul says this, he says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have died. That's, a, that's huge. Now we say, well, hey, I, I remember last time I took communion and I was still bitter with so-and-so. I got away with it. No, no, no. Out of our, the wellspring of our heart. We think, yeah, I've got away with it. But our passion and for God and our compassion for others is going to be impacted. That's how we are designed. That's how God made us. Okay? Number three on your notes. Ultimately, what this story teaches us is how serious sin is to God. This is kind of a hellfire brimstone today, isn't it? A little bit. That we are ultimately accountable for our lack of faithfulness to God. Really, whether it's, whether it's rejecting his goodness by taking matters into our own hands and attempting to gain approval of man over the approval of God, or in, in any other way that we might hold back from him what is meant to be given to him or to be used by him, anything it could be, any of our resources, our time, our, our talents, our money, our desires, our hopes, our dreams, anything. This encompasses our whole entire life, our reputation, all this. God wants it all. God deserves it all. And that's what he's asking for. And that's what this story shows us, how important this is. Now, as a result of recognizing how serious God takes sin, we see that we see what happens. You would think that, oh, go, gosh, people are freaked out. They're all going to say, oh, well, think twice about this Christianity thing or this following Jesus. No, look, look, what, look what happens. We see that things continue, to, the power continues to flow. Look at verse 12. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of, them, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, 
number, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that, even, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of, on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted by unclean spirits, that they were, and they were all healed. Amazing. These things are just rolling along like crazy. God is still working powerfully here. What verse 12 shows is that God is really still answering that prayer. Remember from last chapter, we looked at a few weeks ago, where the people were praying that God would continue to do miraculous work in people's lives so that it would show how amazing he is and it would show where the power comes from that is found in Jesus. So there, this is being answered. God is just like, it's just pouring out. Yet we see here in the story too that there was a mixed reaction to being closely associated with the apostles there. It says, it says the rest, okay? The rest who didn't dare join, be, join them, there were some that held back that didn't want to hang out with them, are likely believers. And these are probably believers that recognize this tense or this uneasy or dangerous environment which surrounded the apostles. They're probably thinking, I love what they're doing, but I'm going to watch at a distance. Because, man, some scary stuff goes down when you're around the apostles. Some crazy things go down, okay? Number four, the truth is that living in obedience to the Spirit is likely going to put us in some difficult and possibly hostile situations. And this is what people were beginning to see. And this is where that fear comes in to not to be bold. The last thing I want to do sometimes be bold in sharing my faith or just sharing the love of Jesus to someone who's in a difficult situation or going through a lot of stuff is coming across like I'm going to create some kind of animosity that they might start having towards me. Well, don't share that. So it's hard to be bold and to be wise sometimes. But that's going to happen. We are going to be put in these kind of situations as we follow the Spirit's leading. Yet despite all this, we see that most people held them in high regard, so much so it says that believers were being added to the church constantly. Just revival was constantly happening. And since, interesting thing here, and since in that culture, a person's, believe it or not, in that cult back in that time, a person's shadow was actually viewed as an extension of that person. So what were people doing? <laughs> they were laying people down. Okay, well, hey, where's the son? Okay, he's going to walk right by here. Let's get, you know, they're putting, laying their sick people down to get the shadow. Did that happen? I don't know. Probably. I, but it was just amazing what God continued uh, to do through them, through the apostle. Now, remember, the Jewish authorities, remember, they had told them to do what? What had, remember back when, when, um, uh, what was it, John and Peter were brought before the council. What, what, what did they tell them to do? Stop, Stop it. Cease. Desist. No more. Do not do this anymore. I would say they didn't obey that order, right? Remember they said they needed to obey God rather than men. Remember that? So the, the Jewish authorities, they need to do something. What are we going to do? Look what, look what happens in verse 17. But the high priest rose up 
and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison door and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the, world, all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So we see here that out of jealousy, out of jealousy, the Sadducees, who were these, these chief priestly group who really controlled the whole council, they respond by having the apostles arrested. Yet, obviously, in a show of that the religious establishment really had no ability to thwart what God was doing, what happens? This angel appears. An angel appears and lets these guys out of prison and tells them, go back, go to the temple, and go teach. And they do. Another crazy story. God is on the move now here, and it's amazing. Now, obviously, this is not something that the, the council was expecting, right? They weren't expecting this to happen at all. Look what happens in verse 21, the second half of verse 21, actually. Now, when the high priest came and those were with him, they called together the council, all, all the Senate and the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officials came, they did not find them in the prison, So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the priest, chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come, what would this would come to? And someone came and told them, hey, look, check it out. The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. (laughs) Then the captain with his officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So (laughs) just picture this in your head. The morning, these governors, they call everybody together. Okay, we're going to get all the important people together. And they gather together and they send for the apostles in order to interrogate them. Yet strangely, unnoticed by anyone, including the guards that were standing right outside their cell, which the doors were locked and everything, no one seemed to notice what happened. No one, no one saw Yet they find out what happens when somebody come back, comes and says, hey, by the way, your guys that you put in jail, <laughs> by the way, they're back at it. <laughs> they're back out there again. Something, something didn't work. So the captain and his officers, they go and they get the guys and look at it shows it, but they don't get them in a way that they don't want to cause a scene, right? They could have easily said, hey, what are you doing out here? Are you escaping? No, they just like probably, let's just. The la- I mean, the last thing they want to do is cause a scene because God is on the move. God is doing some amazing things. So number five, number five on your notes, if you're doing that, the lesson here is that since nothing can stop the advance of the gospel, we can be bold in our obedience to share the good news of the gospel. Nothing is going to stop the advance of the gospel, not our lack of Knowing what exactly to say, not our intimidation, not prison, nor any type of resistance, nothing can stop the Spirit of God from advancing the gospel message. If you have someone in your life that God has said, I want you to be praying for this person, I want you to be sharing when the opportunity comes, you need to know that nothing is going to stop God, maybe in the timing that you have, maybe it's been 20 years of sharing and there's no response from this person, nothing happening, nothing going on, or a family member, just nothing happening. You got to go, nothing is going to stop God from, from reaching that person in his timing. So be bold. 
He's saying, don't stop. Keep going. Keep at it. Nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop. So keep going. Keep loving. Keep sharing. Keep praying. Don't stop. Keep at it. So let's look, look what happens next. Look what happens um, to this. Because really that, what we're called to do is just be faithful. We're just called to be faithful to share the good news of the gospel. All right. So let's look what happens next. Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. For God, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by, having him, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at, the, at his right hand as, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. They're witnessing to these guys, aren't they? They're telling it. They're, they're laying out the gospel to these guys. I love it. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, first of all, did you notice there's no mention of, hey, how, how'd you guys get out there? Well, how'd that happen? Why, 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 what's going on? That, you know what? That, that just shows that, that these guys, these leaders are interested in all in what God might be doing. I mean, to, to glance over that, to not say anything about something ridiculous that guards are still standing there, doors are still locked. You were in there when we went to bed. You're not there now. And they say nothing. See what deception eventually, these guys were deceived and eventually led them to the place where they couldn't even see anything that God was doing. Their only desire was to have the apostles silenced. They were on a mission. They couldn't even see a miraculous, incredible miracle that should have blown them away. But because their hearts were hard, because they are not being faithful, they ultimately could not see. So first, the high priest, remember, he reminds them that, hey, we told you not. We told you to cease and desist. And not only have you disobeyed us, what you've done is this whole city is going crazy. This whole city knows about this teaching, and this teaching portrays us as the bad guys. It portrays us as people that went against this, that we're responsible for Jesus' death. And we see that Peter goes on and says, uh, yep, <laughs> that's true. You hit it. It was you that did this. But we also saw that he is really sharing with them too. Just as with this earlier confrontation they had, Peter tells them, essentially, when push comes to shove, we're called to be faithful in obeying God rather than man when it becomes to being a witness. Okay? I love that. He just says it like it is, but then he even lets them know this is the truth. The truth is you need Jesus. You need to believe. He's the leader. He's the savior. You hung him on a tree. But now, where is he? He's at God's right hand. This is who he is. I'm going to tell you, you are against this. And I think that that needs to be planted in our brain. We're going to have people that seem so opposed to what our message is, what the message of the gospel is. But what are we supposed to be doing? Faithful and just saying, here's the truth that I believe. Here's the truth what's changed my life. Not, oh, they don't want to hear it. Isn't that usually where, isn't that usually, I know, I go, okay, okay, fine, they don't want to hear, I'm not going to say anything. Really? People that need to know about Jesus, 
We're going to let them know the truth, tactfully, obviously, and appropriately. In a very real way, they were impl implementing these guys, but wanted them to know Jesus. So let's, let's look at this. Um, let's look at their response to this, okay? Um, the council didn't want anything to do about anything to do with it. They just wanted to squash this movement. So look at the response of the apostles, starting in verse 33. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Didn't take it well. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men out Side for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in those days of a census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this plan, if this plan is undertaken of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Well, needless to say, the, it didn't go well. But their response to it was not a happy one. It's act, it actually enraged them. Instead of them acknowledging that this truth, it enrages them to wanting to actually kill them. Thankfully, though, amongst these leaders, obviously, we see that there's a, a voice of reason. This respected Pharisee named Gamaliel, he speaks up and puts the apostles outside so that he can address everybody privately. He wants them to think, okay, careful. Think about what you're doing here, guys. Think before you do something you're really going to regret, okay? And then he reminds me of these two other guys that rose up and had these followings after them. As soon as they died, it, it, the whole movement died out, okay? Don't, see, that, don't, don't worry about them. His point is that if this movement is purely of God, it's going to eventually die. It'll eventually die out. And there doesn't require this radical action you're thinking. But if it's of God, if what is going on here is of God, fighting against it or interfering against it, not only will it be futile, but it could be extremely dangerous. So they, uh, thankfully, <laughs> they are thinking somewhat clearly and they take, his, they take his advice. Yet not before adding a little bit of something else, right? Not just letting them go this time, they beat them. They just beat them up. I don't know what that looked like. But their anger just, okay, we're going to let you go, but we're still ticked off and we're going to let you have it. So they let them have it. And I love their response in the last two verses here. I love the apostle's response. Look what he says in verse 41. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name and then they stopped preaching. No. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that the Christ is Jesus. Woof. That is boldness. So these religious leaders think they're hoping that the shame of a beating is going to deter their, their zeal for preaching about Jesus. But what, what actually happens? It has the exact opposite effect. The exact opposite thing happens. They, get, they beat them, 
And they end up leaving rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor on behalf of Jesus. You see, in, view, in, the, in the view of these apostles, it was a tremendous honor and cause for absolute rejoicing that they were able to be persecuted for Christ's sake. Man, I wish I had that mindset. I wish that I knew going into a situation where I was going to at least stand up for my biblical principles at least, or speak the truth, or even speak the gospel into someone's life, that I knew that uh, 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 whether it's an emotional or whatever kind of whooping might be coming, and I'm fine with that. This is boldness. This resulted to them teaching every day in the temples, in homes. Once again, God is answering their prayer for boldness. I am getting, I don't know about you guys, I'm feeling that we need to be praying for something. Boldness. Praying for boldness. But really, you know, because what stands out to me in this account is the compelling boldness and the urgency the apostles have for sharing the gospel with people. They were going to proclaim the name of Jesus no matter the cost. No matter what, they could not contain this irresistible urge to spread the word about the extraordinary life that is found in Jesus. Imagine having that same conviction to tell people about Jesus. I so want that. I want that because I know I don't have that. Completely. I have a desire and I want that, but that's something, I, like I said at the beginning here, something God is welling in me and I don't know what that looks like and I'm not good at it and I'm failing miserably and all that stuff. So I know I need to keep praying for boldness. Yet here's the thing, number six on your notes. So here's the thing. Boldness starts, as we see from this chapter here, with a determination to allow the Spirit of God to bring us to a place where we crave more than anything else, not just boldness, but to be faithful to God in every area of our lives. It's one thing to say, God, make me bold. Help me to be bold in sharing my faith. I want to be able to share or speak the gospel into this tragedy that someone has experienced or this difficult life they're going through with their family or something. I want to speak the gospel truth into that. It's one thing to ask for that, but it's another thing to assume that the boldness is going to come and we can still live a sinful, unfaithless life to God, even in the smallest area. We're crazy to think that, but we do. We ask God to be faithful in things when we're being faithless in other areas. And typically, he will be faithful, but typically not in the ways that we expect. So it behooves us to not try to earn God's faithfulness, but to be faithful to him so we are experiencing that incredible love and that joy and that connectedness with him. Whether it's learning to allow our reputation to be determined how God sees us in Christ and not how others see us. That's my biggest problem I'm a, I, is the fear of man thing, the people pleaser thing. That's my thing. Okay? That's where I can be faithless by maybe not saying what I need to say or not uh, praying what I need to pray or feeling what I, want, I know I should feel for other people. Or maybe it's by learning to be wholeheartedly allow God to have complete control over our resources, everything that we have, over all of our time, over all of our desires, our hopes, our dreams, everything. 
See, I think we get this notion that we're being faithful to God because I've, I've been praying, I've been going to church, I've been, a, I've been a good boy. I've been okay. When we realize that we serve a holy and amazing God who we, are, we have no right to come before at all for anything, but the only reason we do is because of Jesus. So why would we find our worth or anything outside of Jesus? Why would we find our happiness? Why would we find our joy outside of anything than being faithful to that God? That's what he's asking here. That's what he's saying. That's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Be faithful, but be faithful to everything. And he'll ask me for the help because I can't be faithful. We need to find that in the power of the gospel. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is what allows us to be faithful. But are we willing? Are we willing to be faithful with our time, our treasure, our talents, our, our attitudes, our everything? Every little thing. Really, what's at stake is not only experiencing the joy that comes with living a life of obedience, but what's at stake is our passion for God and our compassion for others and a boldness to share the gospel in the places that God has placed us. You know, by the way, every one of you and me, we're missionaries. We're all missionaries. God has placed you on a mission field somewhere. It could be in an office. could be at a school. Could be at a shop, could be at wherever. God has put you on a mission field, in a home. So we, in turn, want to be faithful to him so that we could be on mission and be connected to him and have a passion for him and a compassion for those that are on our mission field. I mean, if we were to get you up here today and say, we're going to commission you to go join Luther in Liberia, I have a feeling once you got off that plane, you would be thinking all the time, how do we reach these people for Christ? How do I reach the people around me for Christ, right? We would. But how easy for it is us to get lackadaisical and forget about the fact that we're on a mission field right now. That's why we need each other's support so much, but that's why we need each other's support in order to how to be faithful. I need you to help me to be faithful. I need God and I need you so much so that I can be on mission to make disciples. Does that make sense? It's all connected. It's all connected. We can't hide. You can't say, I look how good I look on the outside. I'm just going to work really hard at that. We can't hide because it affects everything else. As we move into a time of communion here, I really want to, really want to, as we're remembering what Jesus has done, remembering this power that we have through the gospel of Jesus, I want to encourage all of us, to take these few minutes and, and invite the Holy Spirit to, to show us where we might be lacking in faithfulness to God and, and simply confess that to him. Where do I need to stop holding back, God? Where, where might I need to stop being afraid to let you just have it all? Remember, 1 John 1, 9 tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And not only that, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This grace and mercy that he offers that motivates us to be faithful in every area of our lives 
not only gives us a desire, but a boldness to share the good news of the gospel. Father God, we're grateful for your faithfulness. And we thank you that you're faithful even when we are not. And God, we want to come before you now as we partake of communion, as we remember that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body. This is my body. Take it and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup in the same way and he said, this is the blood in my new covenant. As often as you drink it, remember me. Remember the power that comes through the message of the gospel to help us to be faithful, to have a passion for God and to share with those you've put in our lives, God. We want that. We so desperately want that. Would you meet us now as we do this? In Christ's name.